Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father God, thank you for your word. Um, I pray for these next few moments. Uh, Father God, that you would prepare our hearts beforehand uh, to receive what you want us, want, what you want to teach us from the scriptures. Holy Spirit, that you would speak only what you want said uh, and nothing else. God, have your way. Have your way in our hearts. Do with us what you please. Um, God, I pray that you would sow uh, your word into our hearts in such a way that it would bear a harvest of faith, a harvest of righteousness in each of us, God. Um, God, have your way. Have your way and not mine. God, have your way and not the way of any person. Uh, God, to you be the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So I said we're talking about, you guys remember what tonight? Family. Yeah. Talking about family tonight. And you guys have all had different experiences with families. So you guys got to hear uh, some of your friends, kind of what their family situation was growing up. Uh, Some of you guys are from big families. Who'd say I'm from a big family? I got... Seven, eight, nine, ten people in my family. And some of you guys are from smaller families. Brandon and Jackie are onlys, right? So they got a, they've, got a, they've got a smaller family. Less, uh, uh, yeah, less brothers and sisters to bicker with, to fight with, right? So, so some of you guys say, I mean, that'd be kind of nice. And, and, and I know Jackie would share all the time. I mean, oh, I wish I had brothers and sisters. I would have loved that. Um, you know, others have, have learned to get along with roommates and sweet mates. Um, anybody had a, a difficult roommate to get along with? If your roommate sitting next to you, you know, we obviously don't mean them. We mean a different roommate. Um, had sweet mates to get along with. Some of you guys have had, learned what it means to be a part of a community like a fraternity or a sorority or a service organization and learned, man, kind of how to get along uh, with that kind of community. Um, man, of course, there's involvement in spiritual communities like churches uh, and campus ministries like Chi Alpha. Um, and so the question we're going to look at tonight uh, comes out of this book that we've been going through for the last few weeks. Uh, the book is, is Live Dead. It's a journal. I'm going to talk a little bit about it in a minute. Um, and I've got extra copies of it. If, if one of you guys maybe is, is new or didn't get a copy of it, I've got some more. Um, the question we're looking at tonight about families uh, that we're going to answer tonight is this. How is being a part of a family, being part of a community, a kind of death? How is being a part and being involved in a healthy community a kind of martyrdom? That sounds strange to us, right? So that's, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. How's being part of a good, healthy family uh, a kind of death? You know, belonging to a healthy, vibrant community, a form of martyrdom. So a little recap of our series so far. The last few weeks in Chi Alpha on Thursday night, so we've been doing a series called Live Dead. Uh, and it's based out of, of this book that we've been going through called the Live Dead Journal. It's a 30-day journal. Each entry, uh, e- each of the 30 days is written by a different missionary uh, along themes of dying to ourselves, dying to our rights, dying to the, uh, the, the empty, hollow things of this life so we can be more fully alive in Christ. Amen? And so, so each day is a different, uh, different challenge, a different thing to focus on along those lines. Any guys that have been going through the journal say, yeah, it's been challenging to me. Um, it's kicked me in the pants. Uh, it's made me cry. Yeah, that's normal. Me too. Absolutely. Um, and so, the, so on Thursday nights, we've been kind of highlighting some of these different themes in our small groups and our, in our life groups. We've been discussing them and applying them a little deeper. Um, and, and, so, so it's been a, and we're going to talk about it some more tonight. And then next week, we'll kind of wrap up the series. It'll be our conclusion right before spring break. Uh, but we've been talking on this series, Live Dead. And what it means to live as though we are dead so that Jesus can be more glorified in us. Um, J- Jackie kicked it off a few weeks ago with talking about abiding. That, that, that our greatest need, if we're going to live dead, is to abide in God's presence. To spend uh, just tons of time in the presence of Jesus. Allowing God to stretch us and grow us to be the men and women that He wants us to be. Uh, allowing Him to deposit you know, His Holy Spirit in us. Uh, to teach us things in His presence. 
uh, and not rush that time in God's presence, but just sit there. Just sit there and be with Jesus as a habit. Every single one of us needs, needs to build into our lives just to be with the Lord. Uh, last week, um, Joey uh, talk, talked about the importance of, uh, of roots and having roots that go down deep. Um, and the, in a culture where people value what's on the outside, uh, that they want to see your fruit, they want to see what you're doing, um, that what God values is what's on the inside, the heart, uh, and that if we don't have roots that grow down deep, we're not going to have healthy fruit. Um, you know, and so we've got a culture that, that, that values, values the outside, that values fruit, but, um, and we're not going to have anything to give them that's not fake. You know, we talked about it in our life group, it's like the plastic fruit you have in a bowl, like the plastic apples, the plastic oranges. That's the kind of fruit a lot of us have because we don't have those, deep, those roots that grow down deep. It's only when the roots grow down deep into God that we've got real fruit to offer people. Man, jo- Joey had a great message uh, last week on that. And any of our messages, if you missed any of those and want to listen to them, they're all available on our website. You can do the, the Kyle from Memphis uh, podcast or also go to kylefamemphis.org uh, and connect with those messages there and, and hear some of the ones you missed. Um, but we're going to continue building off of those themes uh, tonight, continue to build off of those ideas. Joey was talking about um, and, and part of what's involved with those roots growing down deep is surrendering to God, laying down our rights, laying down our, our entitlements, and, and that's kind of where we're going from there. And that analogy of a tree, to kind of help you guys understand that, because you guys, and this, this tree analogy keeps coming back, right? Um, the, the John 15 that Jackie taught at talks about uh, us, being, us being a tree, us being the branches, and Jesus being the vine that's woven into those branches. And Jesus says uh, that, that apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, if you abide in me, then you bear much fruit. But apart from me, you're not going to bear any fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So there's this extended metaphor that we, uh, as believers, are trees, right, with branches. And hopefully we're trees with roots that grow down deep. Um, but apart from Jesus, apart from Jesus, we're not going to bear any fruit. And so if we're thinking about that, that metaphor of, of a vine weaving through some branches, what, what that speaks to me, what that tells me is, yes, we're trees, but we're not fruit-bearing trees, right? You've got apple trees and orange trees. We're not those kind of trees. Name another kind of tree that doesn't bear fruit. There's like nut trees and acorn trees, oaks and maples, pine cones, right? One of those kind of trees, uh, but not a fruit-bearing tree. That it's, it's the vine of Jesus in our life that bears fruit. Um, so if you, if, you think about, if you think about like a grapevine, a grapevine, if you had a grapevine growing into a tree, uh, it's not the branches of the tree itself that grows the grapes, right? It's the vine that grows on the grapes, the vine that's weaving in and out of those branches. Or if you have a vineyard and you set up these wooden trellises, the trellises themselves are not budding and growing fruit, right? But it's the vine that's growing in those trellises that's bearing fruit. And it's the same way with us. You're not a fruit-bearing tree, but to the extent that Jesus is woven into your life, then you'll bear fruit. So it's important that, like, like Joey taught last week, that we've got roots that grow down deep, that we're a strong and sturdy tree with big branches so that, so that the life of Christ, that vine, can be woven all throughout there so we can bear, we can bear much fruit in Him. And, and, and so, I, like I said, I'm going to build on that concept a little tonight and, and say, say, man, that, that, that begins uh, with, with us laying down our rights, laying down what we feel like we're entitled to so that Jesus can be more alive in us. So tonight... Uh, you know, I want you to think about uh, man, what it means to have a vibrant, healthy community. You guys talked about families you're a part of or friend circles that, that, that man, you, you love them just like you would a family. Uh, man, I, I heard a lot of you guys say that Chi Alpha has become a family these last couple of years through your involvement here. That you guys are, see each other as brothers and sisters. I mean, that's exactly how it should be. And if you're new to Chi Alpha, uh, man, to kind of help understand our heart, man, we want to be that. A family of believers uh, that, man, we're in love with Jesus. We're wanting to grow in our relationship with God and we want to love each other. Uh, and if it's your first time here, man, man, you're welcome. You're part of the family. We love that you're here and we're excited uh, for you guys to get to belong uh, with us. Um, so to have a healthy, vibrant community that honors God and draws people into relationship with Him. That's what we want, right? Um, so if, if, I, if I were to describe our culture as having an entitlement culture, would you guys know what I mean by that? An entitlement culture, a culture where we feel like we are entitled to certain things. I deserve certain things because, I don't know, because I'm awake, because I'm breathing, because I'm a human being, I deserve this, I deserve that. Um, and, and what really plays to it, I, I see it the most in our, in our advertising, in our media, where we're told again and again and again, you deserve this. 
you deserve a break. You deserve a snack. You deserve a Snickers. If you guys got, I don't know if you saw any of the Halloween, or not Halloween candy, Valentine's candy, uh, Dove chocolate hearts, they sometimes have little messages in it. Uh, and some of those messages sometimes are like, man, you deserve a treat. You deserve something special. And it's like, man, it makes me feel, yeah, I deserve it, right? I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to that, to that nap. I'm entitled to that whatever. I'm, I'm entitled to a good job or, or a nice place to stay or this or that. And we start, and we start believing it. Yeah, maybe I am entitled. Maybe I do deserve all these things. Yeah, I'm something else. I'm special. Man, I really do deserve all that stuff. Um, but, but, but really, man, all, all that idea of an entitlement, it's not true, right? That we, we don't just inherently deserve all these things. They're nice and they're a blessing, but we don't, we don't just inherently deserve them. And that we understand that, that all the goodness we enjoy in life, the joy, uh, the relationships we enjoy, the good things that we enjoy are a blessing from God. I mean, we don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's just by God's grace, because God's a good father who gives good gifts to his children that we enjoy all these things. If we're going to talk about what we deserve as human beings, man, then it's a lot darker, right? What we deserve as human beings, man, is punishment for all that we've done wrong, right? We don't deserve to have a healthy and good relationship with God. Uh, that, that, man, all the stuff we've done wrong, all the times we, we've offended God with our actions, with our words, times we've hurt other people, hurt ourselves, been selfish, prideful, these things that would separate us from God, and, and that's what we would deserve is separation. But, but, man, God instead extends us grace and mercy and forgiveness. He gives us all these blessings that we don't deserve at all, right? But we feel entitled to them. We feel like, yeah, I deserve this because I'm a good person. I deserve this because I'm special. So, yeah, th- this entitlement culture, you guys will see it everywhere. And if you start to open your eyes to it a little bit and be on the lookout for it, you'll see it in, in, uh, in, in, in TV and in advertisements and in, in magazines, all different kind of places appealing to that I deserve it mentality. And you'll start to be like, yeah, yeah. Uh, but when you kind of notice it, you're like, man, do I really deserve? I mean, I'm, I like the chocolate, but do I deserve the chocolate? Am I entitled to the chocolate? Uh, you know, so all of this stems, this entitlement culture, this idea that we deserve all these things stems from our own selfishness. It stems from our own self-centeredness. And if you guys have probably experienced, and when we're talking about a context of family, a context of being in a community, selfishness and self-centeredness is toxic. Man, it's toxic to relationships. You know, selfishness, self-centeredness is toxic to having a healthy family. Um, you know, ha- having the kind of vibrant, healthy community uh, that we want to have. Um, and so being part of a family means that we lay down those things, lay down what we feel like we have a right to, lay down what we feel like we're entitled to for the sake of those around us, for the sake of those in the family, for the sake of those in the community. Um, you know, and, and you've got to do that. You've got to do that for community to work. You've got to lay down what you're entitled to. You've got to learn to not be so selfish and self-centered um, or else that selfishness that you bring into that community uh, is going to be toxic. It's going to damage relationships. Um, and really, uh, so I want to share a little bit, you know, my personal story. Uh, I had no idea how selfish of a person I was until I got married, right? The, the, the man, maybe I'd see little stuff, but something about when you make a commitment to start a family with somebody else, uh, and you commit to someone in marriage, all of a sudden God uses that to reveal all kinds of selfishness in you. Now, I, I grew up with a sibling. I learned what it meant to share. I had roommates and all that kind of stuff. But being married is a whole other ballgame. And, and so, so we feel like marriage is for our happiness, right? Now I'm going to marry someone so I can just be happy and enjoy their company. And, and certainly God, God does bless us with marriage, but also God has another and even greater purpose for marriage. Not your happiness, but your holiness. Your holiness. And God will use that relationship with that other person, that close bond with that other person, to grind selfishness out of your life, to grind pride out of your life. Because if you're going to have a healthy marriage and a healthy family, uh, man, all that selfishness you bring into it is going to be toxic, right? And, and so, so, so God will use these little interactions, these little times that you guys rub up against each other and the little uh, moments to man, grind selfishness out of you. Because when I'm single, I can do whatever I want, right? I can stay up however late or stay out however late. I can eat what I want. I can do what I want. When I'm married, man, I've got to take account for my wife. I can't just stay out till 2, 3 in the morning, right? Uh, I've, got, I've got to think of Jackie. Uh, I, I can't just, man, just eat all, eat all the food in the refrigerator and not leave anything for her to eat, right? Um, that's, that's not thinking of her. That's, that's not being uh, considerate of her. And, and so, so, I mean, those first few years of marriage, uh, God just revealed to me again and again and again how incredibly selfish I could be. There, there's times I would want things a certain way, uh, and it's like, no, I can't do that because I'm married now. I've got to think of my wife. I've got to think of my wife. Um, and and the, she, would, she would say the same. There, there's times that she would realize, man, there's, there's things that I've got to give up or I've got to change for the sake of the marriage. And, and whatever selfishness hadn't been ground out uh, by, by, by the marriage, man, when you have kids, 
When you have children and you have babies that, that, that need you just all the time, 24-7, uh, any kind of selfishness that might, might be left is also, man, it's ground out, it's gotten rid of. God uses family, he uses community to, to, to get that selfishness out of us. And, and, and if, we're, if we're using community family the way God intended, it should. It should drive selfishness out of us as we consider the needs of our family members uh, above our own. And you guys have probably seen what happens if we don't allow God to do that. If we, keep, if we hold on to our selfishness in those family and community relationships. If a, if a, if a parent and, and, you know, holds on to that selfishness and they make stupid, selfish choices, you've seen how it negatively affects their children, how it negatively affects their marriage. You've seen families man, torn apart, messed up because... Because someone was selfish and they weren't willing to lay down their rights, what they felt entitled to, what they felt like they deserved for, for the sake of the family, for the sake of a spouse, the sake of the children. Um, and so, so, so being part of a family uh, is, is, is interconnected with laying down our rights, with, with saying, laying down our selfishness, saying, okay, maybe I feel like I deserve certain things or I'm entitled to certain things, but I'm laying that down for the good of this community, the good of this family, God, that you've placed me in. And that's precisely what the writer of the Live Dead Journal is talking about on day 15. And that's what we're kind of looking at, um, if you've got the journals, day 15, part 2, uh, where he's describing the green martyrdom. You got, if, and some of you guys are to day 15. Uh, some of you guys are still back on like day 2 and 3, and that's fine, right? You'll get through it. Just stick with it. Uh, and and, and man, share your thoughts and, and let people know where you're at. But for those of you guys who read day 15, he talks about the three martyrdoms. The first one being the red martyrdom, which is the kind of martyrdom you're probably familiar with, uh, dying for the cause of Christ. Dying because you're a Christian, uh, be, being murdered, having your life taken. He calls that the red martyrdom. And most of us will never experience that. There's part of the wor- parts of the world where that's more of a reality for believers. Uh, but, but for many of us, man, that, that's not something we'll probably experience. But they, so there should be a willingness to us, God, if you call me to that, that I'd be willing to die for my faith. But what we're talking about tonight, and what the focus is of the second martyrdom, the green martyrdom, um, and that's going to be the focus of what we're looking at tonight, is this idea of community, this idea of family. You know, he says that, you know, as a community of believers, if we really want to be a community that's a healthy and a vibrant expression of the love of Christ, um, you know, that's a commitment that's a form of martyrdom. It's a form of dying, or dying to ourselves, dying to our own rights, Dying to what we feel entitled to, laying down our own will, uh, man, the, our own preferences for the sake of the community, for the sake of the family, for the good of the group. Um, dying to our rights for the good of those around us. Uh, Dick Brogdon is the author um, of that particular entry, and he describes how this works with the missionary teams he leads. You know, he's based out of, uh, out of, out of Cairo, out of Egypt there, and he's got different missionary teams all throughout East Africa. And, uh, and, and he says, man, these teams operate that way. These, they're, they're, they're groups uh, that, that meet together. They meet together several times uh, throughout the week, or they even live together, and they've got to learn what it means to lay down my will for the good of the group. Because if they're bickering and they're fighting, man, people aren't going to come to Jesus, right? That, that if they're talking about uh, the love of Jesus and the need for relationship with Jesus, but their, their, their team is all, Rah! and teams get that way, right? We get on each other's nerves. Even in the Bible, we see missionary teams break apart and split up and have to go their separate ways. That stuff happens. But he says, for the good of the team, and we've got to lay down our will, lay down our rights, uh, so that we can be the kind of healthy community that people would want to be a part of, right? Um, Jesus says that they're going to know that you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. He says that when people see the love in your community, see how you're willing to sacrifice for each other, they're going to say, what is different about these people? And that's a chance for you to share about Jesus. That's a chance for you to talk about uh, the change that God has made in your heart. Um, yeah, so he talks about this with the missionary teams he leads. And he also uses the example of the ministry of St. Patrick in Ireland. And if you guys aren't familiar with the historical St. Patrick, see, I know St. Patrick's Day, right? That's in a few weeks. That's, that's the holiday where we, there's what? Um, lots of green things and plastic top hats and shamrocks and uh, parties and what else? Green beer? Yeah. Okay, so, but, so we know about the holiday. Do we know anything about the historical St. Patrick, the guy that, that the holiday is named after? So let me tell you a little bit about St. Patrick. St. Patrick was a 4th, 5th century missionary um, to Ireland. And when he was 16 years old, he was kidnapped by pirates, right? He was kidnapped by pirates, sold into slavery. And for six years, he was a slave in Ireland. He was a slave in Ireland, working with animals, doing other slave stuff, right? And for six years, he was a slave after being sold into slavery, kidnapped from his home. Uh, six years later, he escapes. He, he, he runs away. He escapes. He makes it back to his family. Uh, man, man they're, they're in Britain. And 
Several years later, he begins to feel the Lord calling him back to Ireland as a missionary. God begins to lay on his heart that these people, uh, man, the, the, the land of Ireland was, was primarily uh, pagan. There wasn't, or wasn't a Christian presence there. And he felt God calling him back to those people that didn't know Jesus, beginning to give him a heart, break his heart for those people. The same people he was a slave to, God was breaking his heart and calling him back there as a missionary. So Patrick returns to Ireland instead of as a captive, as a slave, as a free man, and as a missionary uh, to bring the gospel to people that, that did not know the Lord there in Ireland. And he, he does it through a process of teams. He, he brings these teams of guys, and they, uh, they, they move from, from area to area. God gave them favor with the different tribal uh, leaders there, there in Ireland. And, and through his ministry, um, he planted uh, you know, over 300 churches in his lifetime. 300 churches. Uh, baptized thousands of people. And Ireland, which had been primarily pagan before he arrived, uh, was almost entirely converted to Christianity at the time of Patrick's death, which is just amazing. Just amazing. That, that he found Ireland, the quote is, he found Ireland almost completely pagan, and he left Ireland almost completely Christian. Um, that God just did amazing things to this man's uh, ministry. And, and again, what, 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 do we, what do we think of St. Patrick for? Yeah, gr- green beer and parties, right? Well, this St. Patrick's Day, can you guys do something for me? Uh, it's in a few weeks, but March 17th. Man, make, make St. Patrick's Day a celebration of missions. Man, celebrate that heroic church planners who go to an area where nobody knows Jesus and says, hey, I want to tell you guys about Jesus and plants churches and gets people saved. That's what St. Patrick's Day should be about, in my opinion, right? Um, so, I mean, all the, other, all the other kind of stuff, except for, except for the, the shamrocks, the clovers. That's kind of cool. Uh, le- legend has it that the, the shamrock, that, the, the three-leaf clover, was an illustration that Patrick would use when he would teach to explain the Trinity. You know, the Trinity being... God in three persons, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He would use that to explain how God could be you know, three distinct persons, but also still one God. And, and so, anyway, legend goes, that, that's the analogy he would use. So when you see that shamrock, you can think of, oh, yeah, the Trinity. But, but all the other stuff that gets I mean, stuck with St. Patrick's Day, kind of punt that and think about missions. Think about, man, God, you're using people all over the world uh, to, to spread the gospel and to plant churches. Uh, how was he so successful? Thousands of people baptized, 300 churches. How in the world was Patrick so successful there in Ireland? Um, this, was what, this is what his missionary strategy was. Here's how it worked. And you guys can read about it there in the journal entry on day 15. But, but he would travel in teams. Uh, they would go to a particular area, and they would set up a small commune, a small monastery. They'd have like a, a, prayer, a prayer house in the middle and a, a scriptatorium where they would copy the scriptures. And they'd build their houses all around it in a ring, and they'd have gates set up. Uh, and, and so, so they would be there. They, they'd live as monks uh, there, there in the monastery. And as people would travel through the countryside, they'd have someone at the gate saying, Hey! Hey, Joel, come on in. Come on in. You, you stop. You've been traveling. You're weary. Come and hang out with us. We'll get you a meal. We'll get you some clean clothes. Uh, and, and come and hang out with us. Okay, okay. So they come, like a Walmart greeter, right? Hey, hey, welcome. Uh, and so, so, so they'd come in, and, and they'd give them a nice warm meal. They give them, they give them a, a room, somewhere to stay, maybe some clean clothes. Um, and they take them to, hey, hey, come in, we're going to pray for you. They take them to the prayer room, they pray for them. Uh, but the, the guy, before he knows it, man, he, he's praying with these guys, he's eating with these guys, he's singing worship songs with these guys. He's like instantly part of the family. And he, how did this even happen, right? And they do this with person after person after person, loving them into the family. And the people would say, man, I want to I know the God that makes you guys act this way that makes you guys so loving, so generous. I want to know that God, right? And so they'd see person after person come to Christ because they had this vibrant, healthy community. Now, was it easy for them to live in community like that? No. Any of you guys that ever been in a family of any kind know that there, man, there's times where you fight, you argue, you disagree, um, and then it's a constant battle to lay down your own will, lay down your own selfishness for the good of the group. To lay down I mean, all the things you feel entitled to so that the, that group, that family can be healthy and vibrant. The kind of family that if someone walks into, they say, I want to meet the God that, that, that causes you guys to love like this. I, I want to know, know this Jesus you're talking about that makes you guys love like crazy, be so generous, be so selfless. Um, man, man, and that's exactly what we want to see. Laying down our rights in this way. Dying to our selfishness, dying to our preferences is extremely difficult. It's not easy. I get that. It's not easy. Man, we need the help of the Holy Spirit every step of the way. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, we need humility. And the passage of Scripture that, that Lily read in a minute is where we're going to look at tonight. Um, it's Philippians chapter 2. 
And it shows how Jesus himself modeled that humility for us. We need the help of the Holy Spirit, but we've got the example of Jesus to follow. Um, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Let's take a look at the example of Jesus. Paul writes here, he says, Therefore, if, any, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort in His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and in mind. He says, man, if you guys get anything out of being a Christian, right, any encouragement from that, then you guys love one another and preserve unity, right? Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking for your own interests, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. He's saying in all the things we do, all the things we say, uh, man, don't look out for your own interests. Don't do anything out of vanity. Don't make anything about you, uh, but look to the interests of those around you. How can you serve others? How can you help others? Um, and each of you should look to the interests of those around you instead of looking to your own interests. And we've got a great promise from Jesus that when we make, uh, when we don't worry about our own problems in, in Matthew 6, when we don't worry about what we're going to eat, where we're going to sleep, and instead we make our lives about God and his kingdom, uh, then, then God, God says, I'm going to make sure you have all those things that you need, right? And so, so what Paul's encouraging here is, man, we don't need to do anything out of selfishness. We don't need, need to do anything um, man, to promote our own agenda, but rather in everything, in humility, put other people's needs ahead of your own. I know every, every single one in here has got needs. I, I would think if I said, if any, if any of you guys have any needs, I don't think there'd be a single hand that would not, not go up. We all need something, right? We've all got needs, and God knows that we need those things. But he's saying, put other people's needs ahead of your own, and let God take care of those. Put other people's needs, whatever they may be. Uh, if other people have a financial need, other people have a transportation need, if other people uh, man, just need a, need a friend, need, need someone to be there, to comfort them, to love on them, uh, man, think about other people's needs more than you think about your own needs. You know, biblical humility is not like a low self-esteem kind of thing, like, oh, I'm just a worthless worm, I'm a nobody. Biblical humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking less about yourself and more about other people. Less often about yourself and your own needs and more often about the needs of others and how you can serve them. Does that make sense? You know, so this is the kind of humility we're looking at that puts the needs of others uh, before our own. Continuing in verse 5, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So Jesus was God, but he did not demand to be treated as God. And human beings were the opposite. We are not God, but we want to be treated as God, right? We want, we want to be treated like the universe revolves around us when it doesn't. We want to be treated like it's all about us when it's not all about us. But Jesus, who was God, did not demand those things, right? Jesus, who, who was God, says that he did not consider equality with God something to hold on to or to use to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing. He laid down those rights. He laid down all the privileges he had uh, being co-equal with God um, and made himself nothing. And taking the absolute most humble position he could, becoming a human being so he could relate to our sufferings, our problems, uh, our struggles. Uh, he made himself a human being like you and me, uh, and he humbled himself. He humbled himself. Uh, you know, Jesus as God, he should have deserved. If we talk, we talk about deserving and entitlement, if anybody deserved anything, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. Jesus, God himself, God made flesh. Um, if anyone deserved to be entitled to all the privileges of being God, it's Jesus. You know, if the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of the universe, and steps into human history and he comes and lives with people, uh, if the King of Kings, the God of the universe, says, hey, I'm going to live with people, man, what, what should that look like? He should be born. They didn't have hospitals back then, but he should have been born uh, like in a palace or something, born in the lap of luxury with attendants and, and all these kind of things. Where was Jesus born? He's born, born in a manger, born, uh, born, born in a, a stable or, or, or a cave, where, where they keep the animals, right? Where, where they keep animals. Uh, that's where Jesus was born. He was laid in a feeding trough. He was wrapped up in some cloth. That's where Jesus was born. Not, not a nice, pristine hospital, not a fancy palace. Man, Jesus was born, uh, yeah, born, born in a stable, laid in a manger, um, born in absolute humility. If anybody deserved to be absolutely famous, just well-known throughout the world. It's God, right? God made flesh. 
he, he deserves to be the most famous person ever, more famous than Katy Perry, more famous than Kanye, more famous than Barack. Uh, he should be the most famous person on the planet. Um, and, but, but at the time of Jesus' birth, and he was born into anonymity. He was anonymous for a huge portion of his life. And we, so we, we know that Jesus lived about, about 33 years on this earth. We know a little bit about when he was born, that, you know, that, that, that first little stretch when he was a baby. And then we get like one story when he's a child and then nothing for like 30 years, right? Until he enters public ministry and we got a pretty detailed account of those three years of public ministry. But from like, other than that one story, from like being a baby to age 30, we got nothing. You know, the, the, he, he, he was not out there promoting himself. He was not out there, you know, hey, you, know, hey, you guys got to know me. You guys got to know me. I mean, we love self-promotion in Western culture, right? We want everyone to know us and follow us on every kind of social media. But Jesus didn't do that. Those first 30 years in absolute anonymity. Nobody knew who Jesus was until he showed up on the scene, right? Um, he says, I don't need to be known. If anyone deserves to be known, it's God. But he says, I don't, I don't need that. I don't need the fame. I don't need the glory. I, I'm, I'm setting all that aside. Uh, Man, he chose poverty. If anyone should be enjoying luxury and riches and wealth, it should be the God that made everything, right? If anyone should have, like, golden spoons and silver forks, it should be the God that made gold and silver, right? If anyone should have fancy diamond-encrusted, what do you guys like? I don't even know. Bracelets and, and hair things. Uh, man, it should be God, right? Because he made diamonds. But, uh, man, he, man, Jesus lived in poverty. Man, he, he walked around like a homeless guy, right? That he just relied on the offerings and gifts of people as the God the Father provided for him. That he did not demand wealth. He did not demand riches. He did not demand luxury. Man, he lived in poverty. Man, he walked around. He said, he said, I've got no house. You know, foxes even have holes to sleep in. But the Son of Man, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. God, God humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself and lived in poverty. He lived in humility. He lived in anonymity. Um, he allowed himself to be afflicted, abused for us, right? If anyone did not deserve to be abused, it's, it's Jesus, it's God. But he allowed himself to be abused for us. Continuing in verse 8, it says, In being found in appearance a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, Jesus, after, after his three years of public ministry, was arrested and publicly executed, crucified on a Roman cross. Um, they didn't like the stuff he was saying about being equal to God, about being God made flesh. Uh, they, that was blasphemy to them. Um, and he, he was working all kinds of miracles to prove that it was true. Uh, but but, but the, people, the people still, they arrested him, they, they executed him, he was crucified. Um, if anyone didn't deserve to be publicly executed as a criminal, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. Man, Jesus lived his entire life and never sinned, never did anything wrong. No, not a single other person can say that. All of us. All of us at some point, myself included, have done something wrong. You know, like I said, a time that what the Bible calls sin, a time that we've been prideful, selfish, hurt ourselves, hurt other people, done things that offend others and offend God. All of us have done that, except Jesus. You know, all of us deserve man, punishment for what we've done wrong, except Jesus. But Jesus, man, he said, no, instead, I'm going to take all that punishment you deserve on myself. Jesus, though he was innocent and took all of our punishment on himself, man, he was executed as a criminal on the cross uh, he laid down everything he deserved for us. That's humility. That's our example to follow in humility. Jesus, the perfect son of God, who is willing to lay all those privileges aside for you so that God could have a relationship with you and so, 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 so that you could be forgiven of your sins and have a relationship with God. Um, and, and that's the good news of the gospel. If you guys haven't, haven't heard it before, that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus uh, to take the punishment you deserve for your sins so God could forgive you uh, cleanse you, and you can have that relationship with God. And Jesus didn't stay dead. Three days later, God raised him from the dead. He lives forever. He's conquered death. So for those that put your trust in him, say, Jesus, I'm trusting you with my life. I'm trusting you with my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Uh, and that we can enjoy eternity in heaven with God. Eternal life uh, in God because of what Jesus did. Continue in verse 9. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name... Of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It says, because of his great humility, God exalted him. Because of his great uh, humiliation of himself, God was able to lift him up and glorify him above every other name. You know, the, 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 what, what he deserved, that he was willing to set aside 
Um, and now, now he has come into him because of his great humility, because of what he did uh, for us. Um, that, that Jesus gets all the glory, all the honor because of that. Jesus' humility, we see here, glorified God. His humility glorified God. And in the same way, the Lord is calling us to follow his example and glorify God with our humility. I mean, our lives should be so humble uh, that, that we don't take any of the credit to ourselves. We don't take any of the glory on ourselves, but all the glory goes back to Jesus. All the glory goes back to God. When people are looking at us, they see right through us and right to Jesus. That's the kind of humility God's looking for in our lives, to make our lives uh, less about us, less about our own rights, our own preferences, and more about Him, more about serving others. So what are some of the rights, what are some of the entitlements, some of the privileges that God may be calling us to lay down? What are some of the things that God may be calling you to lay down? Something that you consider something I deserve, it's my right, it's, I'm entitled to it, uh, maybe a preference of yours that, uh, that God may be calling you to lay down for the sake of the gospel, to lay down, to have a closer relationship with him, to lay down so that the community you're part of can be more healthy so more people can come to Jesus. What are some of those rights? I've got an excerpt up here uh, from an article by Elizabeth Elliot called Laying Down Your Rights. Uh, if you guys don't know Elizabeth Elliot, uh, and briefly her story, Elizabeth Elliot and her husband, Jim Elliott were missionaries uh, in South America. Um, Jim Elliott, her husband, uh, was murdered by the people that, that he was going to witness to. He went to speak to this tribe, um, and, and, and they killed him. Um, years later, uh, Elizabeth went to this same tribe that murdered her husband, publicly forgave them, and shared the gospel with them. At this tremendous display of humility and, and forgiveness and just the, the power of mercy, um, many of them became Christians. Right? And she, she lived among them many years. Elizabeth went on to be man, a, a renowned speaker and an author. She's written many books. Um, if I were to re- recommend one of them for you guys to read, Passion and Purity. Man, I think every single one of you guys should read Elizabeth Elliot's Passion uh, and Purity, talking about having a pure life before God. But, so she wrote this article uh, for a Christian magazine called Laying Down Our Rights. And she listed some things here about what maybe is God calling us to lay down for him. Um, you know, what, what, what are some things... Uh, some rights that as Jesus' disciples, we need to be willing to surrender. And so there's a lot up there. And then there's also like a scripture reference. I'm not going to read all those scriptures, right? You guys are like, we're going to be here till 11 o'clock. No. Um, if you want to take a picture of that, you can. If you want to, uh, you want to jot it down in your notebook, you can. Or I'm gonna, I can make the notes available or I can send this to you. Um, but just to go through these real quick, but that's a scripture reference for each of those. Um, what are some rights that as Jesus' disciples, we need to be willing to surrender? First is the right to take revenge. And someone does us wrong, man, we have the right to get them back, right? Man, you do me wrong, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you right back. I'm going to get you back worse. That's my right. Jesus said, it's not your right. It's not your right. As a Christian, you don't have that right anymore. You've got to forgive as you've been forgiven. The next right that Jesus may be calling us to lay down is the right to comfort. To have a comfort, comfortable, safe life. A comfortable, safe home. We may feel like we've got a right to that. Jesus says, you don't have a right to that, Right? That we're not guaranteed comfort. We're not guaranteed an easy, comfortable, safe life. The right to spend our money as we please, right? It's our money, isn't it? Is it our money? Or does everything we have, we enjoy because God blessed us, right? Is it our money to do with what we please? You can also add to that our time. Is it our time to do with what we please? All of our resources, are they just for us to use? Or do we need to lay down the right to use it as we please to honor God? The right to hate our enemies, right? We've got people that are just, man, they just make our life miserable. They're just, just aggravating. They're frustrating. It seems like every step of the way, they're there to get in our way, to stop us. Uh, and and we've got a right to, like, oppose those people, to hate those people, right? No, we don't have that right, right? When we, as Christians, man, that, that's a right we lay down. I, I don't get to hate my enemies anymore. You know, God, God doesn't hate me for being his enemy. Instead, he loved me and adopted me into his family, his enemy. I was the enemy of God. I was a rebel against God. Instead, he said, I forgive everything you've done wrong. I'm adopting you as my son. You get to be in a family now. That's what he does for each and every one of you. Adopts you into the family of God. You guys are princes and princesses, right? To the king of kings. Adopted into his family. So we don't get to hate our enemies either. God didn't hate us. We don't get to hate them. We show them love and forgiveness. We pray for them. The right to be honored and served. It's nice to be honored, right? It's nice to be acknowledged. But it's not something we have a right to, right? It's not something we have a right to. The right to understand God's plan before we obey. Let that one sink in. 
Do we have a right to understand everything, everything about God's plan? Or do we just, just need to obey? Even though we don't know the whole plan. If God asks us to do something, and we need to obey. And he says, you're, I'm not going to guarantee that you're, you're going to know all the details of it, but you just need to obey. We lay down the right to live life by our own rules. Right? We, don't, we don't set the rules. We lay down the right to hold a grudge. And if someone does us wrong, we get mad at them, and we want to stay mad at them for like a long time. Like a, depending on how, what they did, a really long time. Maybe forever, because man, ugh, I just got a grudge against that guy. Jesus says, you don't have a right to hold on to a grudge. You need to forgive as you've been forgiven. In fact, if you do not forgive other people, their sins against you, I will not forgive your sins. Ouch, right? God is, God is, is deadly serious about this forgiveness issue. We don't have a right to hold a grudge. We don't have a right to hold a grudge. The right to fit into society. You don't have the right to fit in, right? So sometimes that's just what we want. Matt, I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be the weird Christian. I just want to fit in. I just want to blend in. I just want to be like everybody else. God says, you don't have the right to just fit in and be like everybody else. But God sets you apart from this world. He sets you apart. In fact, he wants you to be peculiar. He wants you to be strange. So, so strange, so counterculture, so different from the people around you. The people come up and say, Shana, what in the world? Why are you so weird? Why are you so different from everybody else? Tell me, I mean, why? Everyone else I see being this way, but then you're over here being this way. Why? And that's a chance for Shauna to say, and let me tell you about what Jesus has done for me. Let me tell you the difference God has made in my life. And if we just fit in, if we just blend in, no one's going to ask you that, right? So we don't have a right just, just to fit in, just to blend in. The right to do whatever feels good. Man, that, that's, that's the, the, the myth of our culture, the lie of our age. Man, if it feels good, do it. You only live once, right? Man, if it feels good, just chase that thing, follow your heart. Uh, and God says, no, you, you don't just chase what feels good. And we've got to obey the Lord. The right to rebel against authority. We're individuals, right? We do what we want to do. No one can tell us what to do. But the Bible calls us to submit to authority and submit to spiritual authority, submit to authority in the workplace, submit to authority um, in the people that govern this land. We have all kinds of authority that we're called to submit to. And of course, ultimately submitting to God's authority. You're not your own boss. Right? We, we lay down the right to be our own boss. We lay down our right to just rebel against authority. Uh, if an authority figure um, and is asking us to do something, man, we, we submit to the glory of God. We submit, and, in, and that submission honors and glorifies God. The right to complain. You know, so, so a way that you know man, that, that, that someone has, has not laid down their rights, not, not laid down their entitlement, uh, is, is the grumbling and the complaining that comes flowing out of their mouth um, when situations don't go their way. But the Bible says we don't have a right to complain, right? If, if we don't like something, it's okay if we don't like it, man. Bring that to Jesus. Say, God, man, this situation is lousy. This situation stinks and I hate it. Tell God. Man, you don't need to tell everyone else, though. You don't need to go complaining to everyone else, talking to everyone else, grumbling to everyone else. That's not something you have a right to. That's a right that God would have you lay down. And for the sake of the community, the sake of the family you're in. And the last one, the right to put yourself first. And this is one of the verses that, that we read, Philippians 2 there. Um, you know, in, in a culture that is all about me, all about, man, I've got to look out for number one. No one else is going to look out for number one. That's wrong. God's going to look out for you. God's got your back. So you don't have to look out for number one. But you can put the needs of others in front of your own. And we lay down that right to be selfish, to be self-centered, to make it all about us. We lay down that right uh, and say, say, God, I'm just trusting it to you. I trust that you've got mine. You'll take care of me. Um, and I'm going to make my life about glorifying you and making my life about serving other people. Amen. So this is not an exhaustive list. This is not like every right you could ever lay down. But this is a good start, right? This would be a good, a good place to start. Uh, and we lay down these things for the glory of God. We lay down these things for the sake of others. We voluntarily surrender these things for the sake of having a healthy community that glorifies Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is describing all the things that he is entitled to. All the things that, I mean, as, as a missionary... As a preacher of the gospel, I mean, all, all, these, all these different rights and entitlements that he should have. So, man, I'm entitled to this, this, and this. And, and there in Roman, or, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he's, he's listing all these things. You guys can go and read it later. Um, he's describing all these things that he could claim a right to, but that he chooses to lay down those rights for the sake of the gospel so that he can see more people come to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 9, we're going to look at verse 15 um, and 19 here. It says, Yet I have never used any of these rights. And I'm not writing to suggest that I start or want to start now. Even though I'm a free man with no master, I become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. 
He says, he says I've got all kinds of rights, but I don't use them, and I'm not going to start using them. Uh, that even though I'm free to do whatever I want, uh, I'm going to live as a slave to those around me so that many people can come to know Jesus. A little later in verse 10, or um, a little later in chapter 10, 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 23, he says, You may say, I have a right to do anything. I mean, not everything's beneficial. I have a right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. He says, no one should seek their own good, but instead the good of others. So you may feel that way. Man, I've, I've got a right to do anything. And he says, he says man, maybe so, but, but everything you could do is not really beneficial. It's not helpful. It's not constructive. Instead, you should make your life not about your own good, but about the good of others, the good of those around you. Um, our pride, our sense of entitlement, our rights can become an enemy of the gospel. And when, when we hold on to those rights, when we hold on to our preferences, when we have to have our way, that becomes an enemy to what God wants to do in your life. It becomes an enemy to what God wants to do in the family, the community that you're a part of. God wants to create that healthy, vibrant community that a lost person can come into, feel warmth, feel welcomed, experience the love of God, and come to know Jesus. But, but all of our selfishness, all of our pride, our entitlement becomes an enemy uh, to the gospel, an enemy to what God wants to do. Um, it makes us self-centered instead of God-centered. It makes us focus more on our lives than on His kingdom and what His purposes are for us. Um, and really, man, so what I want you guys to let sink deep into your hearts tonight um, on this issue of entitlements and laying them down, on this issue of laying down our rights, dying to what we want uh, for the sake of the gospel. Um, man, if you don't get anything else, let this sink in. Jesus is worth it. Whatever you feel like you're giving up, whatever you feel like you're laying down that's so hard to let go of, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is more valuable. There's a fear in us that says, Matt, man, if I stop being selfish, if I stop you know, holding on to these rights, if I stop making my life about uh, and my, my, my own preferences, no one else is going to look out for me. Jesus says, I'll look out for you, right? Jesus is worth it. He's going to make it worth it. Um, you know, that, that we're not just supposed to stuff it, stuff our feelings. Uh, we're not supposed to become just, just welcome mass that people can walk all over. Uh, you know, but, but if our, the kingdom of God is eternal, if our God is so big that he absorbs all these offenses against himself, uh, then, then, then he can make us in that way too where we absorb these offenses um, you know we have a king that, that, that all kinds of wrong was inflicted on him uh, and he didn't retaliate he took, he took it quietly he showed justice and, or he, he, showed, he showed mercy uh, instead of justice he showed, uh, he showed compassion and forgiveness um, and he didn't assert his right uh, but man he, he humbled himself and became our savior uh, you know, and, and so, so following Jesus means dying to our rights in that way. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit in us, like I said, uh, to, to, to be willing to lay down those rights, lay down those privileges. Um, you know, so, so really let that idea sink in. Jesus is worth it. Christ is worth it. He's more valuable than anything you could gain by asserting your rights. Or by fighting to get even, or by winning every argument, or by never being wronged by anyone. Jesus is more valuable than all that. More valuable than all that. He's worth it. He's worth it. Whatever you could lay down uh, is nothing compared to what you gain in Jesus by dying to that, dying to that thing. Whatever, whatever you feel like you've got to let die in you so that Jesus can be more alive in you, and He's worth it. He's worth it and so much more valuable. And so, so I think you know, Jesus wants to encourage you. He wants to speak to that part uh, of your soul, that fear um, that you're going to lose something precious by totally submitting to Jesus. That you're going to lose something precious uh, by laying down your rights. He says, what you gain is so much more precious than me. And what you gain by letting Jesus be alive in you is so much more valuable. One last verse we'll look at. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 through 3. Ephesians 4, 2 and 3. You know, Paul encourages us as Christians. He says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. What would it look like for Chi Alpha to have this kind of community? For Chi Alpha to be this kind of community? Um, man, where instead of looking out for our own needs, we look to the needs of those around us. Uh, you know, where we're quick to forgive, where we're patient with one another, where we bear with each other. Man, when we, when we get hurt by someone else, we're quick to forgive. When we accidentally offend the other, we're quick to apologize and they're quick to forgive. We show each other mercy and compassion and grace. Um, where we readily submit our preferences, submit what we feel we're entitled to for the sake of others. 
uh, and so, so that those that come into the community can experience the warmth uh, of the body of Christ when it's, when it's expressing itself as it should and when it's expressing the love of Jesus as it should. Um, people are always going to f- need to feel like they belong before they believe. And, and, and you guys are going to hear that. You guys will hear that several times in Kyle for that concept. Um, it's, a, it's a discipleship concept. It's an evangelism concept. It's so true. People are always going to need to belong before they believe. They're going to need to feel welcome. They need to feel like you love them and care about them uh, before they're going to be willing to, to, to believe these ideas uh, that, that, that you're throwing out before them. Um, so we've got to create the kind of community where someone comes in and instantly they feel like they're part of the family. A community like Patrick created there in Ireland where someone steps in and before they know it, hey, I'm, I'm a part, right? I'm part of the family. I'm part of the crew. I belong. I fit in. Um, and, and it's when they feel like they belong. Then, then, then they can listen about what you believe and really begin to believe it for themselves. Um, and, and so what would it look like for Kyle to be that kind of community? We love one another, serve one another. We're quick to lay down our own rights, our own preferences for the needs of those around us, to help those around us, to, to see, man, I know this is good for me, but it may not be good for my brother or sister. So I'm going to set it aside. What can I do that's going to help them grow in the Lord? What can I do that's going to help and encourage them? Um, you know, creating a community like that where people sense and experience the love of Christ is going to require uh, deep humility in us, and it's going to require uh, dying to selfishness. Um, so I know we, we looked at that list of, of, of rights you know, that, that we can lay down. Like I said, that, that's not all of them. And, and the Lord may be dealing with something on your heart. Even as I've been talking tonight, Holy Spirit may, may have certain things he's, he's kind of placing his finger on in your heart. Uh, and rights you maybe need to lay down, things maybe, entitlements that you've held on to that are really and not biblical, and, and things that, that, that Jesus says, man, I want you to walk in freedom from that. You don't have to hold on to that thing so tight. You can let that thing die, and I'm going to make you more alive, more alive than you ever dreamed. Um, let that thing die to create room in your heart for me to be more fully expressed, for Jesus to be more, more alive, more realized in you. Um, so I'm going to take, take, take a minute to pray. And I want you guys just to search your heart uh, and, and think about what, what God may be calling you to die to, what, what rights, what entitlements, what preferences, what, what you know, places in your life where you exert your will, where I've just got to have my way, uh, that, that God's asking you to lay down, lay down those things uh, for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel. Uh, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the example of Jesus. Jesus, who deserved the highest honor, who deserved uh, luxury and and fame and adoration, but set it all aside for our sake. Set it all aside and humbled humbled himself for our sake, to be our example and to lay down his life for us, obedient even to death on a cross. Holy Spirit, would you search our hearts? Search our hearts, God. Help us to think through our own lives, think through times that we've been selfish, prideful, self-centered, times that we've insisted on our own way, God, instead of submitting to yours. Holy Spirit, search our hearts.